good. How many of you love the Word today? Can you stand with me for the reading of the Scriptures? And let me say that I'm going to begin a series on the unsung heroes of the Bible, the no-names that involve themselves in great works of faith, exploits for God. Though men did not sing their praises, God knew exactly who they were. I read a little while ago in between services that your labor is not in vain in the Lord because your rewarder is Him. On that day, we're going to meet Him and hopefully hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's better than anything imaginable, that your life would have God's smile. I want to look today at David's mighty men. Uh, to begin this series, the three unnamed men. Well, they're named, but when I read their names in a moment, you're not going to know them, and I can hardly pronounce them, which might be why they're no-named. Why, we don't know who they are, but they were difficult names. But these three mighty men did exploits for God. Let's read about them. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashabeth, the Tatmanite. He was the chief among the captains. And he was called also Adina the, Adino the Esnite, who I will call him from here on out in the rest of this message. He's Adino to me, okay? The Esnite, the Tachmanite. Now, look what he did because he had killed 800 men at one time alone. Use your sanctified imagination and think about that. 800 men. Now, after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, Another good reason why we probably never heard of his name. His daddy's name was Dodo. Or his mama, either way, not good. He was an Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated, the soldiers had left him. He alone arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and I love this next part. His hand stuck to the sword. He fought so hard. The Lord brought about a great victory that day for a man who would not give up. And the people returned after him only to plunder. They ran for the fight, but they came back to get the goods after he whooped everybody. I wouldn't have let them have a thing. I'm just a little humor there, everybody. Don't look at me so serious. I know what you were thinking. Well, that's not like Jesus. I was just kidding. Now, after him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Hararite. Now look what happened here. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. That's a fancy word for beans. He was standing in a bean field. Again, the Israeli soldiers fled from the Philistines. But he, again, alone, stationed himself in the middle of the field and what did he do? He defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Lord, thank you for your word today. I pray and I believe you're doing it, that you're going to raise up among us, Lord, mighty men, mighty women of faith who are going to bring down the Goliaths, the Philistines of our day. Lord, I pray that today you will deposit a word of faith a word of courage and a word of encouragement to every person in this sanctuary. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. 
Can you pray and say, Lord, I receive your word? Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them you're going to be made stronger today. And you can be seated. Thank you. I believe God wants us mighty in spirit. I noticed long ago that in Luke 180 and Luke 240, we're told that John the Baptist and Jesus grew mighty in their spirit man. We're real big on going to curves and going to gyms and getting muscular. But let me tell you, in the Bible, there was a great emphasis on being mighty in your spirit man, being a Hercules in your spirit man. And that's what these three mighty men were. Now, in the Bible, there are many unnamed men and women. We don't know them. You, you didn't know those names more than likely when I just read them. They were the great unnamed. And here's the thing about them. If they had not done what they did, the great people of faith in the Bible we do know about would never have done what they did. They needed these great unnamed, unsung heroes of the Bible to do what they did because it empowered them, the Davids, the Joshuas, the Isaiahs, the Peter, James, Paul, Johns, to do what they did. And the, the message here is that God needs everybody in the body of Christ. We all need one another because I can't do what I'm called to do without you. And you need me. We need one another. This is not a one-man show or a five-man show. It is a team effort to reach our world for Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you like a broken record, we're going to take the word to the world. But we're going to do it as a team. We're going to do it together. Because I may be up here speaking, but out here are mighty men and mighty women who are prayers and witnesses and supporters and strong in God who help make this church what it is. And I mean that with all of my heart. I need you. And so we, we notice here that these men, these mighty men, gathered themselves to David. As a matter of fact, the day came when David knew, I'm going to have to get out of the presence of Saul. He had killed Goliath. He'd become a national hero overnight. Everybody knew the name of David. They had a hit song on their top 40 list that Saul did not like. And the song said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And all the women were singing it. And it says, from that day forward, Saul looked at David with the green-eyed monster staring out of his eyes. He was jealous of him. He grew to hate him. And one day, finally, David had to flee. And as he fled, we noticed these men gathering themselves around him. And the Bible says that the first ones that got around him were a real motley crew. They were not the kind that you would want to gather around you in this dark hour. It says in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, it describes them. Look at this description from the Holy Ghost in the Word. Everybody who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered themselves to David. Think about that. The distressed the indebted, the disconnected, the disenfranchised, the discontents, malcontents, the unhappy. As a matter of fact, the word discontented is taken from a Hebrew word that means bitter. So we could say that the distressed and the indebted and the discontented and the bitter, the murmurers, the complainers, the unhappy, gather themselves around 
David, who was now in the wilderness, living in caves, sleeping in the open field, always with one eye open, lest Saul sneak up on him and take his life. What a bunch. Think about that. This was not the cream of the crop of Israel. This was not the social elites, the who's who's. These were the nobodies. These were the ones that were not happy with Saul's kingdom at all. And they were looking for an answer. They were looking for a a guide. They were looking for a purpose. They were looking for meaning in their life. Like some of you today, and some of you listening by radio, I, I am convinced that people all over America, because of the culture that we live in now, where we are told that we are byproducts of an uncaring, apathetic, cold, evolutionary process that spit us into time, and we have no real meaning, no real purpose, no real design, no real anything. We're just here to kind of survive, survival of the fittest, get by until we die, and then return to the dust. But that's not my God. My God says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. You are not a product of evolution. You are a creation of Almighty God, and He's got a purpose for you. And I would shout that from the housetops. I wish I could say it on ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN, and MSNBC, that we are created for a reason. Everyone in here has a purpose. And these men were mad at life. They were bitter. They were disenfranchised. They were not impressive, but they heard about David, who had been a hero in the kingdom. And then suddenly he was a zero. Saul was slandering him all over the kingdom. The women got a new song, and it was, Don't let your sons grow up to be like David. He was demonized by Saul. His reputation was ruined by this jealous king. He was sleeping in caves. He was hiding day and night. Always one step ahead of Saul and his army trying to wipe him out. And these men heard about him and they said, well, he's, he's like one of us. So I'm going to go gather myself to David. So what I like about this story, and I want you to catch this, is that this is such an incredible picture of you and me and Jesus. Because you see, David's a type of Christ in the Old Testament. When you read about King David, he's he's a type of Jesus. And David, a type of Christ, took these men, these bitter, disenfranchised men, who were very much like you and me, and he transformed them into mighty men. What a testimony to this man named David. We see them here at the beginning, bitter and angry at life. We see them at the end, mighty men performing exploits of faith, helping David take the kingdom, defeating the enemies of God. What happened between here and there that made these men mighty? Can I tell you today that our David is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ does with us what David did with them. David looked at them and said, I see the way you are but it's not the way you're going to be when I'm done with you. And Jesus looks at you and me and says, I see the way you are, but I don't see you that way for long. I see what you're going to be. He looked at Simon Peter and said, you've been called Simon, but I'm telling you, you're going to be a rock. And you're going to be a rock that I'm going to build my church on. And he looked at those that he called and he said, I see what I'm going to make you. You follow me. 
and I'm going to make you to become something you would never have been without me. Can I tell you, church, we're here to preach and minister a God who changes people. We're not preaching a religion. I don't want a religion. We're preaching a Christ who changes lives, who gives us a meaning and a purpose and a design and a destiny and he makes us to be something we would never have been without him. Can I tell you, I look at you and I see mighty men and I see mighty women. I don't care what your past was. I know what your future is if you follow Christ. Here's the God we preach. What a beautiful picture of our own salvation because most of us were in some way distressed just like these men were distressed prior to knowing Jesus. We, I was distressed. I was looking for answers. We were indebted like they were. They were in debt. They owed money, but we owed more than money. We owed a debt of sin that we could not pay. We needed someone to wash our sins away. And we couldn't do it ourselves. We owed God millions and millions and billions and trillions in sin debt. But the good news is that when Jesus died on the cross and his crimson blood spilled down that cross, then your sin and my sin was canceled out and God said, debt free, debt free, debt free. And we were certainly discontented and bitter at things. We thought to ourselves, there's gotta be more to life than this. We were just like these men who gathered themselves to David. Now, when I look at them, I see something. You want to know how they were changed? And you want to know how you and I are really changed? Here it is. We find first, the Bible records that the change in these men began when they made David captain over their lives. You see, the whole kingdom of Israel knew who David was. He was a national hero before he was a national zero. They all knew who he was. But guess what? Out of all the members of that kingdom of Israel that day, only 400 men at that time made him their captain. And Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are going to go down that road. But narrow is the way, straightened is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. There's always a minority out of a majority that make Jesus their captain. But can I tell you, the day you make Jesus your captain is the day that you are in for radical change. And I don't know about you, but I want radical change in my life. I want to be like him. There's nothing more beautiful than being like Jesus, more powerful than being like Jesus. I want to think like him. I want to walk like him. I want to talk like him. I want to love like him. I want to have patience like him. I want grace on me like him. I want favor with God like him. I want to walk with Jesus. But to do that, he's got to be captain. They said, you know what, David? We're kind of, we're a motley bunch, but, but we're going to make a change. And it's going to begin with, you're our captain. From now on, you're our guide. Where you go, we go. And we want you speaking into our life. We want you sharing with us how you live life. Because we see the anointing of God on you. We know there's favor on you. And even though you're running from Saul, we know one day you're going to be king. And even though today Jesus is rejected and despised in this culture, one day he's going to be king over all the world. It's the same thing. So they said, David, speak into our life. Where you go, we go. Where you stay, we stay. 
We're going to follow you, leave hearth and home, family, everything, to be your servants and you are captain. Folks, there comes a day when Jesus has got to be the captain of your life, the Lord of your life. It's, it's, it's not good enough to say, well, he's my savior and I've got a ticket to heaven. No, no, no. When you got the ticket to heaven, you also got a Lord and a captain of life and living for here and now. And I don't believe there's any such thing as being saved and he's not the Lord of your life instantly. We never make him Lord. He's already Lord. It's only a matter of us realizing it and saying, now, Lord, lead me and guide me and bless me. I'm going to go wherever you go. That's these men with David. But it didn't stop there. We noticed that not only did David become their captain, but they also strongly supported his kingship and sought to promote it everywhere. Listen to the word. They the mighty men, together with all Israel, gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. They said, boy, you're such a good captain. We want the whole land to know what we know. We want the whole world to experience what we're experiencing. Folks, can I tell you something about you today and myself? You and I are contagious. We are contagious with the life of God. He has called us to not just make him our own captain, but then to spread and promote his kingship to the entire world. I want to see Jesus ruling as king over New York, king over California, king over Chicago, king over Texas. See, they said, we like you so much. We want to promote your kingship over the entire land. And have we not been called to do the same thing? Jesus said we are to make disciples of all nations. Their target was Israel, but our target is the whole world. As a church, we're going to take the word to the world. You know why? Because we're going to spread the kingship of Jesus. You know why? Because where he goes, peace goes. Where he goes, healing goes. Where he goes, people are delivered. Where he goes, there is joy. Where he goes, the guns are put down and we love one another. Where he goes, God is glorified and the devil is vilified. Where he goes, there is joy in the house. I love seeing the bound get set free. It says Jesus went about everywhere doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Our church is all about promoting the kingship of Jesus to the whole world. Will you go there with me? <clears throat> will you go there with me? Uh, I said, will you go there with me? Oh, I'm excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the best thing happening in this entire world. I love seeing the, the, the bounds set free and what happens to them when a frown turns into a smile, when sorrowful countenances receive joy. I love seeing somebody stand up and testify, I once was bound, but now I'm free. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I love it. So these men became evangelists for the kingship of David. But then there was more with them. These men who had made David their captain soon discovered that in doing so, they had been drafted into a war. They had been drafted into a battle. David was a man of battle, a man of war. He was called to war. God had anointed him and appointed him to establish a nation. And to establish that nation, 
giants had to be defeated. And he was always at war with these giants. And these men basically said, since you're our captain, your battle is my battle. Your cause is my cause. Your enemies are my enemies. David, if they don't like you, they don't like me. And if they don't like me, they don't like you. We are one now. We're in this battle together. And here is where these mighty men distinguished themselves. And even though their warfare was with sword and spear and they were fighting in a real flesh and blood war, it was still spiritual warfare because David had been anointed by God and his kingdom had been ordained by God and the establishment of Israel as a nation was the will of God. So behind the flesh and blood war, there was a very real spiritual warfare going on. And folks, here's the way it is with you and me. Since Jesus is now our captain, can I inform you today that you are not a bench warmer, but you have been drafted into a battle. It's the Lord's battle, and his battle is now our battle. His enemies are our enemies. His cause is our cause. If he's attacked, I'm attacked. If I'm attacked, he's attacked. If you're attacked, I'm attacked. If I'm attacked, you're attacked. Because we're in the same battle, the same war, and who is it against? It is against the enemy of our soul. It is against the enemy. Jesus went about everywhere doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So we're in a battle. We're in a warfare. It's spiritual in nature. And here's where these mighty men stepped in and helped David become all that he could be in the days of the kings. Now the first man, the chief of David's mighty men, was Adino, who was a Tachmanite. He raised his spear against 800 men who he killed in one encounter. This wasn't 20 battles, just one. And in one encounter, he took down 800 men. Now I listen to that and my logic says, that's not possible. How could that be that one man defeated 800 soldiers, trained for battle, trained for war? How could that be? Well, we're given a little bit of insight into how it could be in his name. You see, his name, Tachmanite, he was a Tachmanite, means one who possesses insight and practical wisdom. Now I want to talk to you about the importance of wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge. Knowledge is not wisdom. We've got a whole nation filled with knowledge, technological knowledge, geographical knowledge, aeronautical knowledge, but we don't have wisdom. Wisdom is different from knowledge. This man had practical insight and wisdom. Here's what it means. If you wage war against an enemy, whether seen or unseen, you need to know what to do and when to do it and who your enemy actually truly is. If you don't know who your enemy is, you will never defeat your enemy. And this is where wisdom comes in. Adino was the chief among the three because he understood the battle and he understood who he was up against and he possessed the wisdom, the insight to defeat 800 men at one time. Adino combined strength with wisdom. Church, I've known strong people who had no wisdom 
And I want to tell you that in these last days, we better be a people of wisdom. Da Daniel prophesied. Daniel looked down the tunnel of time. And Daniel said, those that do know their God in the last days, knowledge, wisdom, those that do know their God will, are the ones who will be strong and do exploits. We need the wisdom of God. I'm praying for wisdom in my own life like I've never prayed for wisdom before because I believe the church is going to need great wisdom in the days that are coming and we're going to have it. Because the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and does not upbraid them for asking, and they will receive it. God gives wisdom. Paul had this wisdom. Paul was a great warrior because Paul had wisdom. He understood his enemy and showed you and me who the enemy really is. He said, you think you're up against flesh and blood. You think you're fighting your spouse. You think you're fighting your boss. You think you're fighting your children. You think you're fighting people who are persecuting you and coming against you. But Paul said, no, no, no. You're not really battling flesh and blood. But behind the people that are coming against you and hindering you and pushing up against you and deterring you and hindering your walk with God, there is a spiritual force. He said, we battle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness that are fighting in heavenly places to hinder the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I preach to you, there are spiritual strong men over this city of Fort Worth. And I'm going to tell you, they are our Goliath. But Goliath came down with a slingshot and a stone. Goliath came down by faith and a young man who simply believed God. Paul said, listen, I know who my enemy is. I've got wisdom. He said in another place, I fight to win. I do not shadow box. I'm not beating the air. A shadow boxer is doing this, hitting air. He's not connecting with anything. And that's what some people are fighting. I'm up against my spouse. I'm up against my children. I'm up against... No, no. You're shadow boxing if you think it's flesh and blood. Behind them, there is a force coming against you as a believer because the blood is on your life. And the Bible says that when you know who your enemy is, you've got wisdom to go for the jugular and bring him down. Some of you are shadow boxing in your home, shadow boxing in your marriage. You don't realize the enemy has targeted your family, your marriage, your money, your home, your children. It's time for us to have our eyes open and have the wisdom of God dropped on us so that we can fight the real enemy. Adino was the chief because he possessed the lethal combination of strength and wisdom. Listen to the importance of wisdom. The Bible says, by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. By what wisdom? And then here's my favorite, Proverbs 21, verse 22. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. Notice it didn't say a strong man scales the city of the mighty. It said a wise man. What does a wise man do that a strong man doesn't do? The wise man understands the stronghold that that city is leaning on. And he attacks the stronghold and brings it down. And then the city is butter to take. See, 
we've got to recognize the strongholds, the stronghold of political correctness, the stronghold of philosophies that defy God, the strongholds of godlessness that have gripped this country, and not shadow box against people, but go beyond the people and go for the jugular of the enemy by realizing what he's using to keep the country in a stronghold. Come on, church. Adino understood the stronghold they trusted in, and somehow he demolished the stronghold these 800 men were leaning on and brought them down in one battle. One man standing there. 800 coming against him. How did he do it? He understood something. He had wisdom. He had, a, he had their number. And he brought down a stronghold. What's a stronghold, you say? It's whatever holds you strong. You can be saved as the day is long and still have a stronghold. Stronghold is in your mind. You've got an addiction or you've got something that's gripping you. You've lost your joy and lost your peace. Let me tell you, you're not dealing with flesh and blood as a child of God. Because Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. And I've given you my word that you may have joy. So if your peace is gone and your joy is gone, God didn't take it away. But something came in and stole it. It's time to get it back. Bring down the stronghold. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are mighty. They have divine power to demolish and bring down and defeat spiritual strongholds. That's why we're taught that the Christian's most important spiritual weapons are prayer, fasting, the Word of God, praise and worship, and a personal testimony. Those five things go for the enemy's jugular and bring him down. These weapons are the wisdom of God that he's given us to defeat the enemy. So there you go. Adino illustrates the combination of strength with wisdom. If you need wisdom over your marriage and wisdom over your home, wisdom over your life, if something does have a grip on you, I'm telling you, you can ask God and he will show it to you. Now, next we come to Eleazar the Ahohite. And Eleazar in Hebrew means the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. And we can't fight spiritual battles in our own strength. We cannot do it. In our own power, we will never win. The devil is not afraid of anyone in this room. Not one scintilla of fear does he possess towards anyone in this room. But he does have dreaded fear of the one who lives in you. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. The one that defeated him in the wilderness lives in you. The one where the demon said, have you come to torment us before the day, lives in you. You are a mighty man, a mighty woman in the spirit of God. Don't sell yourself short. Don't look in the mirror and say, man, I'm just not what I could be. Start talking up Jesus in you. You're a mighty man. You're a mighty woman. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Success in spiritual warfare comes only from allowing God to work through us. In the fierce battle that Eleazar faced, the men of Israel fled from the Philistines in the, in the middle of a barley field and left Eleazar standing alone. But he did not flee in fear. He stood his ground totally alone, just as had Adino, and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Boy, that speaks to me. That so speaks to me 
The last time my hand froze to anything was a Six Flags ride. And my daughter talked me into it. And I got on some roller coaster that was straight from hell. And, and I'm telling you, by the time I got off that, and, and you will never see the picture that we possess that it snapped of me at the end of this ride. It had stolen my joy. It had stolen my peace. But my hands were frozen to the grip. I understand what happened here. But what you've got is perseverance in weariness. You've got perseverance in weariness. I don't know about you, but I experience weariness from time to time. And it seems like you give so much and sometimes uh, you, you don't get back and, and, and people resist you and the devil resists you and this goes wrong and that goes wrong. And sometimes you want to just throw up your hands and say with Jacob, all these things are against me. And that little voice says, lay it down and quit and quit being so serious about God. And that's when the spirit of Eleazar has got to come upon you and you grab that sword. In their day, it was a real sword. In our day, it is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And you say, I may feel weary. I may feel tired. I may feel like walking away, but greater is he that is in me than is my own weariness and tiredness. I don't give up. I don't quit. I don't walk away. I don't back down. I don't cave in. I keep walking and I keep fighting. His hand stuck to the sword. He's swinging when there's no strength left. And God anointed him in his weariness. I think of the words of Paul, in my weakness, he is made strong. Right when you don't feel you can take another step, the spirit of God comes through. The anointing rises up inside of you. I hope you came to listen today because I came to preach Jesus up. I want you to know that we've got a winner on the inside of us. And, he, and when you don't think you can take another swing, here comes the grace of God. And you say, here you go, it is written. It is written. Be not weary in well-doing, wrote Paul, for in due season you're going to reap if you don't faint and give up and walk away. This mighty man gripped the sword for so long and so hard that he couldn't open his hand back up. How sad it is to see so many believers today so many churches, denominations, saying, well, you know what, we can, we can afford to put the word down. The minute you put the word down, you're defeated. The moment you say, I don't need the word anymore, what's more important to me is being loved and liked by the culture. Let me tell you something. If you name the name of Jesus, they're never going to like you. You might as well face up to it. You're never going to be Mr. or Miss Popular out there in the culture if you walk with God. Yea, it says that those who live godly in Christ Jesus, not might, not maybe, but will suffer some persecution. But that's all right. Peter said, when you get persecuted for the name of the Lord, the Spirit of God and of glory is resting upon you. I don't care about their smile. I care about his smile. We've got to get to the place where these mighty men were, that though everyone fled, they stood alone and they stood for God and they took the hits and they fought the good fight and they kept the faith and they brought great glory to God and may God give us a spine of steel like they had and faith like they had. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have Jesus. They didn't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They had none of that, but they had David. 
And the spirit on him got on them. And the spirit that was on Jesus is getting on us. Amen? So say with me, strength mixed with wisdom and perseverance in weariness. And then there's one last one, the top of the top three. His name is Shammah, son of A.G., the Herorite. Shammah means, interestingly, ruin or desolation. But Herorite means mountaineer. This picture is a man once ruined who had been transformed into a mountain climber, a great overcomer, one who climbed into the heights. Can I tell you, not a one of us today, I know for me, for sure, when he found me, I was ruined. My mind was ruined. My body was ruined. I was in deep sin, deep trouble. And he reached down into the darkness of my sin and brought me up into life. And guess what? He made me a mountain climber. He made me a one who, uh, by the grace of God, has been able to soar into the heights of prayer and soar into the heights of praise and soar into the heights of victory. He made me a winner and not a loser, a, a conqueror and not one defeated. He laid his hand on me. And now, uh, as I pray and seek him, I'm walking in the heights of victory, not the valley of defeat. What about you? He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. And he does the same with you. Shammah's story when the Philistines banded together at a place where there's a field full of beans. Israel's soldiers once again fled, but Shammah did not run. He was not a follower of the crowd. He was not a follower of the majority. He took his stand in the middle of the field, and I believe he did it because this field was an inheritance he had received. It was his field. And the enemy was trying to steal his inheritance. The devil's a robber. And let me tell you what he's after in your life and mine. He wants our inheritance in Christ. He wants our joy. He wants our peace. He wants our family. He wants our finances. He wants our marriage. He wants our children. He wants what God has given to us. He wants our testimony. He wants our victory. He wants to steal it. And there comes a time when you've got to stand in the middle of your own bean field. It may be your marriage. It may be your home. It may be your, your, your financial well-being. Whatever it is, you've got to stand in the middle of that bean field. And here comes the enemy to take it away from you. And you've got to grab that sword like Eleazar grabbed it. You've got to hold on for dear life. The conflict may get intense. You may be in for a real battle that may last some time. But I want to tell you, weeping endures for a night, but joy will come in the morning. God will see you through it. You got to stand in the middle of that bean field and say, it may not be real glamorous. It may not be very impressive to the eyes of others, but bless God, it's my bean field. It was given to me by God. And so I stand in the middle of this thing and I say to the devil, you're not going to have it. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to cavalierly give it up, turn it over. This is mine and I'm chasing you out and you're not chasing me out. You got to stand. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand with me today, can you? I really believe that some of you are standing in the middle of your own bean field. I don't know what it is, but you've got to fight for the ministry that God gave you. You've got to fight for the marriage God gave you. You've got to fight for the hope that God gave you about your future. You've got to never casually give up. 
the bean fields that God has bequeathed to you as your inheritance. I've stood in the middle of my living room before with a sword of the spirit in my mouth and said, devil, that's it. I'm taking my stand. You're not coming one step further. You're not getting one more inch of ground. I'm not giving you one more thing. I'm getting back what I've lost and I'm standing here and I'm serving notice in the name of Jesus Christ. This house is God's house. I am God's man. My family is God's. My ministry is God's. And I took my stand and I said, no further. This is it. And I stood alone. But guess what? The day came when everything began to turn and the devil had to let go of what he was trying to steal. And I'm telling you, church, it's never over till God has had his say. So I want to pray for you right now. Will you bow with me? Lord, we've seen the testimony of Adino and Eleazar and Shammah, men who stood alone in the power of God and won a great victory. These three great unknowns, known of you. Lord, right now I pray for every person in this room. The enemy is coming to get a, a bean field out of their life, something you gave them. And if that's you today, church, and you know you're in a battle, I want you to raise your hand as I pray right now. Many of you all over this place, I mean literally a fourth of you, maybe more. This is a battle. You've got an enemy. But we, with Adino, have wisdom. And with Eleazar, we have perseverance in weariness. And with Shammah, we are defenders of what God has given us. Lord, you see these hands, and I pray in Jesus' name that you will help us to stand in the testimony of these men and apply what we have learned. Now, if you raise your hand, pray this prayer with me and say, Lord Jesus, you are my David. You are my captain and my king. I take my stand. And with Adino, I believe you for wisdom to have insight into the stronghold that I can defeat it through your name. And with Eleazar, I pray for perseverance in weariness. And I grab hold of the word of God with such force. I cannot let go of it. And Lord, with Shammah, I defend the bean fields you have given me. Now you know what he's after. Say it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I give you this bean field. Name it. Give it to Jesus. Your captain. I give it to you. It's a son. It's a daughter. It's a marriage. It's your morality. It's your integrity. It's your walk with God. Give it to the Lord. And say, Lord, I defend this field to the finish. The enemy will not get it. Now give him a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 